And uh, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Red. Uh, well, today our month of terror on the show continues. I'm very happy to welcome back Quicksilver Radio Theater of New York. Uh, they're creators of the very excellent Lincoln's Last Day, uh, Julius Caesar. We've heard uh, both of those in the past previous months. Uh, actually, some of the very first things we heard here on the show, uh, their work is characterized as uh, classic tales produced with an entirely modern flavor, and uh, as unsettling tales of the psyche are in the air this time of year, today we're going to hear the first installment of their true-to-the-text adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, for those who've only seen the movies, this is going to seem like a completely different show. Uh, the terror of the original Frankenstein is more about the psychology of a man driven to extreme experimentations with life and death. Uh, his mental state is much more terrifying than any monsters. I think you'll agree that it's a much scarier story, and I hope you enjoy the first half of Frankenstein. From New York, Quicksilver Radio Theater presents a parable about love and violence. Our 19-year-old author first saw her story in the land of waking dreams. So please, turn down your lights and join us there as we present Frankenstein, Modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley. To Mrs. Saville, England. December 5th, 1797, from Captain Robert Walton, somewhere in the Arctic regions. Dear sister, so strange an incident has happened that I must record it, although I hope to reach you before this letter. Last Monday, the ice had enclosed our ship on all sides when... Look there! About a half mile to the north! A dog sled! Come on, drive it! It is huge! Give me those spyglasses! I'm losing them in this bloody fog! Had it been only a mirage caused by the blinding ice? After a sleepless night, I came on deck. The crew was looking over the starboard side of the ship at a sled with but one dog yet alive and a haggard driver. He was not the man we had seen the day before, and to see two strangers in this forsaken place was astounding. Morning, Captain. The ice is breaking up, sir. Thank you, mate. Bring that man aboard. Aye, sir. Before I come on board, will you please... Tell me where you are bound. A strange question from someone on the brink of destruction. We are on a voyage of discovery toward the north. Thank you. I will come on board. Good God, Margaret, if you had seen this man, his limbs nearly frozen and his body emaciated by fatigue, we forced him to swallow some brandy and wrapped him in blankets near the kitchen stove. It was two days before he could speak. Then I brought him to my cabin. My friend, who are you? Why have you come so far on the ice in so frail a vehicle? My name is Victor Frankenstein. I seek one who fled from me. Hmm. Did he travel in the same fashion? Yes. Then I believe we saw him the day before we picked you up. How did he appear? Where was he headed? Do you think the breaking ice destroyed his sled? Slowly, my friend. May I call you friend? Lie back. You are still recovering. You are right, and you may call me friend. But I have been ungrateful. I have not asked you what brought you to this forsaken place. I thank you. I left friendship behind to pursue my heart's dream. We seek the northern pole. I do not think it is a place of frost, but of undiscovered wonders. 
I may find the power that rules the compass, observe the stars as never before. Such benefits to mankind are surely worth the risk of my life and of my crew. Unhappy man, have you drunk of the same madness as I? Hear my tale and you will dash the cup from your lips. I do not understand, but if you have the strength... But barely. I thought my evils would die with me. Perhaps they can save you from yours. I was born in Geneva of a distinguished family. My father was a public servant and began his family late in life. My mother was much younger. For years I was their only child. Victor, my darling. My own son. Her kisses and his smile are my first memories. They were ever conscious of what they owed to the one that they had brought to life, to guide to happiness or to misery. My mother was an angel who opened our home to the child of a destitute peasant couple. I have something lovely for my Victor. Hello. This lovely girl became my more than sister. She took simple delight in the wonders surrounding our home. To me, nature was a secret to be unlocked. I later gained a brother, seven years my junior. I had but one boyhood friend, Henry Clerval. Though a merchant's son, his heroes were King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. Victor, what are these strange books? Victor, I told you not to waste our time reading this. Alchemy is pure trash. Alchemy? Like Merlin? Have you read it, Father? No. I what? want to learn, so I shall. I read of Magnus and the search for the Philosopher's Stone, of Paracelsus and his experiments with life itself, though my incantations were always failures. When I was 15 years of age, Elizabeth and I were caught in a tremendous thunderstorm. Could it bring life, too? You go on ahead. I'll come soon. I became fascinated by electricity and the works of Dr. Benjamin Franklin. My parents resolved to send me to the university at Ingolstadt in Germany. But before I left, the first misfortune of my life occurred. Elizabeth caught scarlet fever, and in healing her, my mother fell victim. Come closer. Victor, Elizabeth. Mother. Remember, my highest hope has always been for your future union. Victor, yes. make me proud of you at university. It, it's hard to leave you, but I will see you in another world. Mother. <laughs> what an evil death is. What a void it leaves. Victor, it's time to leave for school. Yes, Father. Victor, remember your promise to write often. I will. Say goodbye to your brother, will you? Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Victor. I was alone and lonely, but my thirst for knowledge was strong. As I reached the white steeples of Ingolstadt, my spirits rose. I was given a solitary apartment at the top of an old house. The next day, I met my professors. Kremper. Alchemy? You've wasted time on such nonsense. You must start anew. But... Remember, boy, who is the professor? And Waldman, a small man of 50 years with graying hair and a benevolent countenance. The ancients promised everything, but performed nothing. The modern scientist admits that he knows very little but performs miracles. He digs into the earth, ascends into the heavens. He will show us the world's secrets. 
But that is all for today, class. <laughs> Professor Baldman, yeah. I believe I have abilities, but I have been told that my studies were in vain. Mr. Frankenstein, eh? Yes. Uh, Kremper told me of your heroes. True, those magicians had little knowledge, but their zeal brought us to where we are today. A scientist must bring that zeal to every branch. Such work can only benefit mankind. From that day, my fate was sealed. Professor Waldman smoothed the path of knowledge for me. Chemistry, biology, galvanism. Often dawn came with me still in my laboratory. As months passed, I became obsessed with the structure of man, and to understand the living, we must know the dead. I was raised to not know fear. So as the moon watched silently, I pursued nature to her hiding places. I entered the unhallowed damps of the grave and saw the worm inherit the brain. I worked upon the living animal and upon those in the dissecting room. My eyes burned with fatigue when suddenly, in all this darkness, a brilliant light broke in. I discovered the path to life itself. I see by your eyes, Captain Walton, that you would hear this secret. No. The man who seeks a greater place than nature directs finds only grief. I had found this power. How should I use it? My imagination soared. I would create a human being. Minute parts hinder work, so I began a being of great size. A new species would bless me as father. And if I could animate cold tissue, perhaps one day I could bring back the beloved dead Summer passed, the leaves fell. I ignored my distant family. I grew pale and nerve-wracked. I promised myself rest when my creation was complete. Long past midnight of a dreary night in November, the moment came. With an anxiety that was almost agony, I collected the instruments around me. I knelt by the lifeless thing that lay at my feet near the engine that would supply the spark of life. By the half-light of a dying candle, I saw the dull yellow eye of the creature open. No! A convulsive shudder shook its form. I had worked hard for two years, but now that I had finished, revulsion filled me. I had endeavored to make him beautiful. Lustrous black hair, pearly white teeth. But great God! Eight feet in size. Yellow skin that scarcely covered the muscles beneath. Watery eyes as jaundiced as their sockets. Shriveled complexion and hard black lips. I ran from the room. Flung myself on my bed trying to forget. I dreamt of Elizabeth. As I kissed her, she became the corpse of my dead mother covered in grave worms. I started from my sleep. My bed curtains opened, and I beheld the grinning monster that I had created. It stretched out its hand toward me, a creature not even Dante could have imagined. I ran downstairs and paced the dark courtyard, fearing every sound. Dawn came, and I walked the streets. As I was passing the inn, the door sprang open. My dear Victor, I arrived hours ago and was waiting for morning to come see you. Henry! 
What brings you here? I persuaded my father that there was more to learn than he could teach. <laughs> I'm delighted to see you walk with me. How are father and William and Elizabeth? Very well, but worried by lack of word from you. Victor, you look as though you've not slept for nights. I've been deeply engaged in a project, but I sincerely hope that now I am free. Here are my rooms. Let me go up first. Certainly. It is not here. Victor! For God's sakes, what is the matter? Don't, don't ask me. It, it, Victor! It Victor! I was confined for months with a nervous fever. Clerval concealed my illness from my family. Although my creation had gone, I raved incessantly of it. No, Shh. stay away. Shh. Don't you see Do you it? see what, Victor? What is it? At last, summer's warmth helped me to recover. Dear Henry, how can I repay your kindness? By writing to your family. This letter from Elizabeth has been waiting here for weeks. My dearest Victor, you have been ill. Even kind Henry cannot deceive us. So it's I meant only to write to a few lines. lines. Expecting you home soon. But that would be cruel. You would expect a glad welcome and find only tears. Victor, how can I tell you what has passed? William is dead. That sweet child who warmed all our hearts is murdered. Last Thursday, we walked together at dusk. When I turned toward home, he was not to be found. We searched with torches through the damp night and found our lovely boy stretched livid on the grass. The mark of a murderer's fingers on his neck. The torn lapel of a man's coat clutched in his hand. Poor William. Come home, Victor, to heal our wounds. Yours always, Elizabeth Lavenza. Dear friend, are you always to be unhappy? To Geneva. I'll arrange the horses. As we drew near, even the dark mountains seemed to threaten. I began to fear that my misfortunes somehow traced from my casting it of abomination into the world. Father and Elizabeth welcomed me home. In my absence, she had surpassed the beauty of her childhood and matured in spirit. Dear Victor! Sweet Elizabeth. My own son, I wish you would come earlier. You must stop poor Elizabeth from blaming herself. Seeing you gives me hope. But who is safe? What beast could kill such an innocent? Dry your tears, dear niece. The guilty one will pay. Though night was falling, I could not rest until I visited the spot where poor William was murdered. A storm was approaching as I climbed Mount Blanc. Dear brother, this is your dirge. Suddenly, lightning revealed a huge, misshapen figure behind a clump of trees several yards away. Could it be the hideous thing that I had given life? Another blue flash lit the scene. It was my creation. How came it here? It was wearing an old coat of mine with one lapel torn away. This demon killed my brother. I thought to confront it, but the next bolt, reeking of ozone, showed it in rocks halfway up the mountain. In shock, I struggled home. But who would believe my story, and who could lay hold of such a creature? A dreadful calm settled over my life. I spent hours alone in my small boat on the lake, tempted to let the waters close over me. One day, roaming aimlessly, I ventured upon the glaciers. The vast mountains, 
the singing waterfalls, the shattered pines seemed to speak to me of the omnipotent one and brought me a measure of peace. Suddenly, I saw a distant figure bounding over the crevices in the ice, coming toward me with superhuman speed. It was the wretch I had created. The mummified face was heavy with anguish and malice. Assassin! You dare approach me? Uh, Do you not fear my vengeance? I expected this. All men hate the wretched, and I am the most wretched of all living things. Even my creator spurns me. And we are bound by ties that can only be broken by death. Do your duty toward me, or I will glut the mouth of death with the blood of your loved ones. Beast! You regret your creation? Come, and I will extinguish the spark I gave! Again! You would play with life. Be still! Although my life is miserable, I will defend it. And remember, you made me more powerful than you. Frankenstein, do not trample on him alone to whom your affection is most due. I ought to be your Adam, but you cast me out like the fallen angel. Begone! There can be no fellowship between you and me. We will try your strength in a fight in which one must fall. How can I move you? Believe me, Frankenstein, my soul once glowed with love and humanity, but am I not miserably alone? These lands of frost are the only refuge man does not begrudge me. But it is in your power to deliver him from my hatred. Human law allows the guilty to speak in their own defense. Listen to me. Then, if you can, destroy the work of your hands. Cursed be my hands that formed you. Relieve me from the sight of you. I place uh. my hands over your eyes. Is that what you wish? Do not touch me! By the virtue that I once possessed, I demand you hear my tale. But it is long, and this climate is too harsh for you. Come to my hut up the mountain. And remember, on you it rests, whether I leave in peace or am the author of your speedy ruin. As he led the way across the ice, I realized that as his creator I should at least hear him. We ascended a rock and entered a mean hut. The monster built a meager fire and began his story. It is with great difficulty that I remember my birth. A strong light pressed on my being, and I, I started. I saw, felt, heard, smelt all at once. Then darkness returned. I suppose I fell asleep. When this passed, I rose and tried to walk. You came into my bedchamber, and I ran downstairs. Oh, I, I had a sense that you had been there. But now I was alone, cold and frightened. I covered myself with a discarded coat of yours, and stumbled out into the dark night. I could distinguish nothing save pain on all sides. I sat down and wept. But then I looked up and saw a silvery globe through the branches that made me smile. <laughs> I hungered, and beginning to recognize scent, I found some berries. That cold night passed, and day came. I began to see clearly the crystal stream that gave me water, the 
green trees that shaded me. I, I heard the music that came from the throats of the little winged animals. I tried to imitate them. But my sound frightened me into silence. I came across a fire left by beggars and was delighted by its warmth. I thrust my hand into the embers. How strange, I thought, that a thing could cause both pleasure and pain. I slept. Next morning, I struck out across the wood toward the warm sun. I passed through wheat fields and arrived at a village. Huts, cottages, even houses, the gardens of vegetables, milk and cheese in the window made my mouth water. I entered a hut. The whole village was roused. Some ran from me. Some attacked me. Can you blame them? Look at you. Thank you. Bloody by stones and clubs, I ran blindly back to the open country. I stopped to wash myself in a small pool. When I saw my face reflected back and remembered the graceful faces I had just left, I was mortified. I came to a small cottage in a clearing. Adjoining it, was a low hovel, perhaps once a stall. I crept in. The ceiling was so low that I could barely sit upright, and the floor was only dirt. But it was refuge from the snow and from man's cruelty. I arranged the straw, ate some coarse bread stolen from a window, and fell asleep. When I awoke, I discovered several small holes in the walls through which I could see both into the cottage and out into the world. A man was coming across the field towards the house. Inside was a beautiful young girl with fair braided hair in a plain blue petticoat. Near a small fire sat an old man with a silver beard. The girl brought a strange object to him, and he began to produce sounds even sweeter than the forest birds. Before, the girl looked sad, but no more. The man smiled with a kindness that I had never seen. I felt such peculiar sensations, a mix of pain and pleasure, that I turned away, unable to bear it. The young man entered the cottage and they shared a simple meal of bread, wine, and cheese. <laughs> I was amazed to see that they could prolong the day with candles. <laughs> the young man produced uh, another object which seemed to contain many leaves and began to utter sounds that I only later understood. Take no thought for your life. Behold the birds of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than them? I lay upon my straw, but could not sleep. I longed to join them. As days passed, I perceived that the old man could only tell of someone's approach if sound was made. He was blind, and sometimes when they spoke, they began to weep. 
I learned that they were very poor, although no one in need was ever turned away from their door. If such lovely creatures could feel sadness, perhaps my misery was not unique. The younger two often put their food before the old man. I ceased stealing their food, satisfying myself with nuts and berries from the wood. And at night, I borrowed their tools. What is it, Felix? Someone has left firewood for us, Father. <laughs> this gave me much pleasure. As their speech became more familiar to me, I found that the woman produced sounds quite unlike the two men, but it seemed they were trying to convert hers to theirs. Ooh. <laughs> Mare, pear, fee, feast. Mm, no, Agatha. Hmm? Mother, father, daughter, son. Mother? Uh -huh. I could see the books that they used, and it dawned on me that the sounds they made described the pictures there. When they took the old man for walks in the wood, I borrowed their books. You made my mind as strong as my body, Victor Frankenstein. Through tremendous effort, I began to read. And when I slept, these three were always before me in my dreams. Come in, my friend. Wait, friend with us. Warm yourself by the fire. I prepared to meet them. I would woo them with gentle words, and they would overlook my deformity. The snows of winter melted. And I was thrilled to see flowers bloom again. But as I read and listened, I heard many stories that confused me. I learned that the most respected men were those of high birth. What of me? I possessed nothing, did not even know from whence I came. I learned of childhood and of family's bonds. Where were my kin? This all caused an agony that I wished to shake off, but I, I could not even comprehend what death was yet. You taught me that, Victor Frankenstein. Me? Huh. I discovered these papers in the pocket of the coat I had taken from your room. It is your journal, <laughs> and I learned the foul circumstances which produced my loathsome frame. Cursed creator, to form a monster so hideous that you turn from it in disgust. God made man beautiful in his image. I am a filthy copy of you. Even Satan had his devil. Only I am alone. Only my cottagers gave me hope. Growing anxious, I resolved that the time had come to enter the dwelling of my friends. I would acquaint myself to the blind man, and he would befriend me to the children. The hour came. It was a bright, crisp winter day. The old man was alone with his music. My heart raced, my limbs grew weak. I removed the planks that covered my door. 
our friend. Come along in. Pardon, I travel without rest. May I sit by your fire? Of course. I will be your host as best I can. But I am without sight. My children are away gathering food, so I can offer you nothing to eat. Do not trouble yourself, kind host. I have foods, warmth only I need. Sit down here. By your speech, I gather you are not of this country. I am from far away. I am come to some friend. I love them. I hope they welcome me. Do not despair. The hearts of most men are charitable. And again, that was the first half of Quicksilver Radio Theater's Frankenstein with Joseph Francini, Craig Wickman, Clyde Baldu, Jody Bethel, who, uh, Bob Hess, Vito Labella, Susan Muir, John Prav, with sound by David Nolan and music by Tony Award-winning Mark Hallman. Adapted and produced by Craig Wickman, uh, directed by Jay Stern. And tune in next week for the eerie and tragic conclusion to this story, which of course is all part of one gigantic month of terror here on Radio Drama Revival. And if you just can't wait till next week, check out the blog, subscribe to the podcast at www.radiodramarevival.com. You can, of course, download all the previous episodes there while reading up on the latest audio theater news, reviews, and discussion. And if you prefer, find us on the iTunes store to search for Radio Drama Revival. That wraps it up for this week's show. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week.